I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our podcast. You can find us at Open Mind TV, and you can support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today. Judd Legum is the editor and founder of Popular Information. Judd, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Judd, you have provided the most up-to-date journalism on the companies that were responsible for propping up the Sedition Caucus. Basically, they funded all these candidates or legislators who voted to against certifying the election, voted against democracy. What companies since January 6th have made the most progress in acknowledging for future elections they are not going to support seditionists, they're not going to support the candidates or legislators that uh, voted against the American people, voted to deny the election results? There's only been a few that have made really permanent commitments. Uh, One that comes to mind is American Express. They've said that they're not going to make any contributions to the 147 Republicans that objected to the Electoral College vote, effectively trying to overturn the election. They're not going to make any donations this cycle or at any point in the future. Uh, So that's one that's that's one company that's taken a very strong stance. Then there's others like Microsoft that have not gone that far, but have committed not to donate to these 147 Republicans for the entirety of the 2022 cycle. Uh, So that'll be the next two years. Uh, Then there's a much larger group who have suspended Uh, donations to this group, the 147 Republicans. And this is a group that includes Amazon, Walmart, some of the biggest companies in the whole country. Uh, But they haven't put any time limit on that. Uh, And so I think that's why the ultimate impact of this right now is unknown, because if in a month or two, these companies just go about business as usual, it really won't have a very significant impact. If it is the first signs of a change in how these corporations engage politically, then it could be more meaningful. But we're going to have to keep watching and waiting to see what the ultimate impact will be. How do you gauge the answer to that question, Judd, in terms of whether companies that have taken non-committal positions about future donations decide to stay in that camp um, or to announce that they are permanently suspending donations to those specific legislators or maybe broadly to all political figures or congresspeople? How do you gauge, you know, what, what's going to inform them to, make their suspensions permanent? Well, I think one thing is we will know what happens because ultimately they have to make it public. Um, in, in 2021, it's an off-year election, so most of these corporate PACs are only required to file a couple of times a year. We'll, we'll get a peek in um, the in July, and we'll get a peek again at the end of the year. Uh, But really, you know, beyond just sort of watching and waiting, 
I think it will depend on their assessment of how much impact the events of January 6th have on the public over the long term. If this is something that just fades into the background, I, I think all things being equal, most of these companies would like to have maximum flexibility to do, to donate to whomever they please because you know one of the ways these corporate donations work is is to give companies an entree um, to to meet to get influence with uh, members of Congress. So they'd like to continue that if possible. Uh, but I think if they judge, as many of them are judging at least for the time being, that making those donations would cause more harm uh, than the benefit that it confers, um, then they they may they may stick to this policy for a longer period of time. Then there's other companies, you know, Charles Schwab, for example, has just decided to close down their pack, and that's something that a significant number of companies have have decided. Apple doesn't have a pack. Um, IBM has has never had a PAC, uh, so companies can go that route too. And what will influence whether they stand strong on principle? Will it be more domestic terrorist activities that persuade some to you know move in that direction or stay put? Uh, Donald Trump is on television this week, um, eulogizing a. a bigoted figure and in, in, um, in his first media appearance since the insurrection that he caused claiming that he won the election. So I suppose that maybe the further re- reiteration of the big lie might scare the companies enough, but I, I suppose I'm asking you, what will it take for them to, to continue to stand on principle? I think, I think public pressure. Um, I think public pressure will be the key thing. That's that's really what they're uh, responding to. It's it's a reputational crisis. You can see what happened with Microsoft. You know, initially, Microsoft said that they were just doing a broad pause, uh, but then it came out that in December, long after um, it was clear that Josh Howley was really one of the at the forefront of of this lie of, of saying that the election may have been stolen due to uh, voter fraud, uh, had continued to donate to Howley through through the month of December. That created a public outcry and also created a lot of um, uh, upset inside the company too. And I began hearing from a lot of people who worked inside of Microsoft, and that ultimately forced them uh, just this month. Um, to change their position. So I think that's what it's going to take down the line at all of these at all of these companies. So it may be that some of these you know uh, early companies might test the waters. There might be some companies that test the waters and start you know contributing to Ted Cruz again, contributing to Josh Hotley again. And it will be, I think, the public reaction to that that will determine if the other companies, follow. I think that's for the most part. I think that public pressure is inspired by um, rejecting the disinformation, rejecting the big lie, rejecting the white supremacist 
terrorism. Um, and, and it just occurs to me that Donald Trump's continued visibility in and of itself will help that pressure. Um, I mentioned today's interview as we're recording this because had Trump made a comment about you know, his fraudulent claims about fraud during the impeachment trial, there may still be an impeachment trial ongoing, right? So I just wondered to the extent that it's relevant, what are the conditions that the public pressure is affected? Because we've seen, yeah. as you've reported quite extensively, for many, many years, um, there has been this incestuous giving to extremist candidates um, who were allies of the insurrection. Yeah, I think I think Trump's continued visibility and the decision of many of these candidates to continue defending him uh, will have an impact. You know, we just had an impeachment vote. Uh, I think that has an impact. Ultimately, a lot of these companies have said they are undertaking a review to determine what their long-term policies are and reconsidering their political giving. And so if you do have a situation where Trump remains visible, and not only just remaining visible, but continues to insist, as he did today, that the election was stolen from him, that he won by a significant margin, continuing to perpetuate the misinformation that really motivated you know, thousands of people to show up uh, in D.C. And, and create the events of, of January 6th. And really, as we saw during the impeachment trial, put many of many people on both sides of the aisle at risk. I, I think we learned over time just how serious uh, many of these rioters were uh, barging in with full tactical gear um, and, and really intending to do serious harm. And in fact, you know, some people were killed um, that to the extent that th that misinformation persists, I think that will, that will contribute to the pressure um, on these companies. But I I think that what we've seen, um, you know, in the last few weeks with companies taking action is not the norm. So I think we, I don't, I'm not expecting, I don't necessarily expect um, that it will, that, that the companies will essentially always be operating in this environment that if things are going to change, it probably will take, um, you know, uh, continuing, continual ongoing pressure on these companies to, to force them to change. What companies have not reacted at all to the big lie and the insurrection? Basically it's business as usual. Well, it's interesting because you don't really know you don't really know the answer to that because there are companies that may have made decisions but just haven't announced them publicly. There's actually a survey I was just looking at um, today by a group called the Conference Board that effectively did an anonymous survey of these corporate PACs, and they and they found that only a quarter of them. Had act who have made decisions to suspend funding had act, have actually said things, but there are, um, of course, some some major companies that have made significant donations to people uh, sort of on the front lines of, of this effort 
to overturn um, the election that, that have said nothing. One that I've focused on um, uh, quite a bit has been uh, Publix, uh, which not only gave to uh, dozens of, of the federal candidates, but also, you know, at the state level, there were a lot of people pushing this. Ron DeSantis in Florida, they gave him uh, $100,000 uh, toward the end um, of this year. Um, and there are there are many um, others who who have said um, little um, to nothing. Um, uh, not surprisingly, Fox Corporation hasn't said anything. Uh, companies like uh, uh, Nestle, uh, Ally Financial, um, Philips, uh, North America, the gas company. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of them, Glaxo, Smith, Klein. There, there's a lot of people who are kind of laying low. Now, that we haven't seen yet any financial reports, FEC reports, post-January 6th. We're going to get our first look in about three days uh, when um, the, the national party committees will have to file. So we can see, you know, if there's been any PAC activity of people donating to, um, you know, the, the national Republican senatorial committee, which is headed up by Rick Scott, um, who was one of the people who uh, objected to the Electoral College. So that'll give us our first peek. But, um, you know, we don't we don't know definitively. When you do your newsletter and tweet about the companies, do you feel as though folks respond in their consumption habits? Um, I don't think that that is necessarily um, the way it works because it happens too fast because, you know, all this has happened too fast, um, you know, especially for a company like you know, Amazon or a company like Walmart, these like massive companies, for them to for them to actually see some sort of impact on their bottom line, um, even if that were to happen, and I don't know if it would, it wouldn't happen overnight. I think what they're really doing is all of these companies spend a lot of money through ads, through all sorts of mechanisms to craft a public image. And I think what they and they're always monitoring that. What's the public sentiment around their brand? So I think what they see when, when myself and others begin to report, you know, what their political donations are and people to react, I think they start seeing sentiment toward their brand turn negative. And that's what they're trying to counteract. And, and I think they're looking at that as maybe an early sign of over the long term, if our brand perception skews negative, we are going to eventually see that impact our bottom line. But I think the speed in which it happens, you know, I don't think they're necessarily seeing, well, our sales are going down, so we have to respond. I think it's more they're looking for the kind of early signs of, of, a, of a reputational problem. What do you hope that will be established when we look towards the 22 and 24 cycles? For the American people to recognize the companies that are complicit in fomenting discord and domestic terrorism, but be, that's what you do so diligently. But beyond that, your work brings attention to the vast lobbying complex and the refusal for both Democrats and Republicans over this past decade 
to insist that uh, when it comes to social platforms that uh, there is information integrity. Um, and I presume that there will continue to be donations from the alphabets and Facebooks and Twitters. Are there goals that you think certain, the, the, the kind of anti-Citizens United politicians should set um, that follow in line with your work, that by 2022 or by 2024, this influence should be limited, if not eliminated, on politicians? Yeah, well, ultimately, and this hasn't necessarily been the theme of this current string of line of reporting that we've been talking about, but ultimately, I don't see corporate PACs and their involvement in politics to be something that has a lot of benefit to democracy. You know, these these are members of Congress who are supposed to be representing people, um, not corporations. And these are way these these donations give corporations uh, an entree um, that most that is unavailable to most people. Most people, even though the, the, the amounts of money are not huge, most people aren't able to give, you know, five thousand dollars um, to a politician. So to the extent that. Um, you know, I guess sort of two two answers to this is one, to the extent that corporations decide that maybe it's not worth it to be as active giving money to politicians, I, I think that would have some beneficial effects. And there's been a lot of politicians, um, certainly most of the Democratic Senate candidates, a lot of the Democratic House members, um, and even a few Republican um House members have said that they're not going to accept corporate PAC money. Um, and I think they, cause they recognize how it works. So I think that's the other side of the coin. And that also could be beneficial. So the, so the extent that this process rings a bit of this corporate money out of the candidates and out of the, the political process, I think that would be a, that would be a good thing. Uh, finally, Judd, I want to ask you about the impeachment trial. As someone who has covered politics and also engaged in campaign life, um, do you think that the failure of Democrats to undertake a substantive trial was a mistake? Well, I definitely think it was a mistake to vote to have witnesses and then ultimately not call any witnesses. Um, That seemed to be a miscalculation. Um, I do think that the the presentation up to that point was quite compelling. They have a lot of the the House managers were very talented, presented a compelling case, probably seems like they probably convinced, you know, at least one or two Republicans to to convict who, who weren't Um, at least dead set on on that at the start of the trial. Uh, But I do think that there there probably was a – too much of a – that that the Republican claim that if they were to call a single witness that they would lock up on it for for weeks or months – um, I think they probably took that threat a little too seriously in that it's much more of a of a threat that's easy to make 
but but very hard to follow through on because they want the impe- they wanted this impeachment trial to end too. That's why they were making that threat. So I don't think Trump calls into Fox News and repeats the odious, insidious, pernicious lie if there's an impeachment trial. I, I think there would have been effectively a blackout on him, and I think that's that would have been a good thing. I, I, personally. My suggestion here is that if you're going to evaluate on the basis of evidence and due process high crimes and misdemeanors, there ought to be a real trial. And I think a lot of the Democratic group think, while it immediately reacted to this vote about evidence and criticized the idea that they were backing out after going forward – I think at this point it's it's in the back of people's minds and you know I don't really see that a a 1/6 commission like a 9/11 commission is going to do anything more to insist that Trump face the music. I don't know how you pick up the momentum from an impeachment proceeding and then and then turn to a commission, you know, a, a blue ribbon commission in effect, you know, yeah, I I, sense. I I I I largely agree with that. I think that they could have called Kevin McCarthy, especially when it came out that he had this conversation with Trump, in which Trump, you know, allegedly, effectively expressed contentment with what was going on, refused to to step in uh, to the extent that McCarthy wanted him to step in. That could have been powerful, and and they were losing. Um, Republican votes, I think, as the trial uh, went on. But more than gaining Republican votes, I think that it was an opportunity to establish an historical record. And, you know, we'll have to see what kind of authority the commission is given as far as the ability to subpoena witnesses and things like that. But I doubt you're going to have a commission that's empowered to the extent that, you know, you could call a Kevin McCarthy and the like and, and have them testify under oath. McCarthy's testimony or his congresswoman colleague who recounted that conversation, I just think it, it is a bit preposterous to have an impeachment. It, it reminds me of Donald Trump governing by tweet, right? To have an impeachment that is five days long or thereabout. And that's not the way a trial works. It is it is shorthand. It, and, you know, to those of us concerned about the violations of the Constitution, the law breaking and corruption on 1-6 and everything that led to 1-6, it seems like such an extraordinary concession uh, that, that it's – if, if Trump ultimately is the nominee in 24 and, and wins or someone like Trump, uh, this must be viewed as kind of the ultimate act of cowardice. Well, I think if, if Trump wins in 2024, certainly people will, will look back at, at that decision and, and, and definitely um, question it. I, I think it does provide the answer as to why McConnell um, – you know, refused to begin the trial um, while, you know, in the previous Congress uh, or in the previous administration while Trump was still president. 
because he did want to create a situation where the Democrats were torn because the the competing um, the competing notion was the idea that they wanted to get back to Biden's agenda and the coronavirus uh, relief bill, uh, and that was very intentional, you know. And I think they they successfully used that um, to their benefit uh, to to shorten the trial. Um, and it worked out for them because I think to the extent that we started to learn more and more facts about what went on in the part of the trial that did occur, um, you know, the facts don't, don't look very, don't look very good for Trump. And I think that's why ultimately most of the Republicans ended up relying on this kind of flimsy constitutional argument that, you know, they couldn't impeach him because he was no longer president, which, of course, was a function of McConnell not starting the trial earlier. But in any event, you know, I think that's why they did. That's why they gravitated to that, because the, the facts were so damning. You can follow Judd at Popular Information. And of course, thank you for the important work that you do every day to preserve a fact-based democracy. Thank you, Judd. Thanks.